This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. I was just planning on going up and, you know, touching on your private pilot maneuvers. I'm pretty new into this. Only a couple solo flights, you know, in my back pocket. So it was uh, definitely very early on in my career to have a nose wheel fall off. That's for sure. I was in a Gulfstream doing some contract flying, helping a friend of mine out. And we were starting our second engine. We had one running and we were turning the other one. And we were in the middle of the start sequence. When I looked out, I saw this VA-20 right at rotation. I saw the, the nose wheel assembly drop away from the airplane. It was three, four feet off the ground when it came loose. And then I just watched it bounce down the runway. And uh, I didn't quite realize what I was looking at at first. Welcome to another edition of There I Was, a podcast where we put you in the cockpit with pilots in demanding situations, and we learn how they flew out of them. I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Today, we have an exciting episode for you. We have two pilots, Chris Yates, who just came off a stint as the director of aviation for SpaceX. He's a 15,000-hour pilot, ATP-rated, came up through the commercial ranks and flew all kinds of airplanes, starting by towing banners back in the day at, at Long Beach, California. He just happened to be on hand at the airport when Taylor Hash, a student pilot with about 50 or so hours flying a DA-20, had her nose wheel fall off after takeoff. And fortunately for Taylor, Chris Yates happened to be on hand. Taylor, Chris, welcome to the There I Was podcast. Oh, we're really pleased to be here, Richard. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, it's a pleasure. I'm super excited to talk to you guys and super happy to be here. Well, I, I got to tell you, I'm a little starstruck because this happened just a few days ago, but you guys have been everywhere on national media and national print media and websites. So, Taylor, you must feel like a, uh, a superstar at this point. What does it feel like to go from obscurity to now everybody knows your, your plight? It's pretty surreal. Um, you know, sometimes during the day, I still kind of can't believe what happened and what came out of it. But it's been amazing, you know, and thanks to the, the help of Chris, you know, we've been able to blow this up. And it's been really, really cool that so many people want to hear and share the story. It's, it's been awesome. Yeah. And I love your background, too. You got started. You had a job out at the airport in the operations desk. And then you kept seeing these people coming in from flying with smiles on their faces and decided, hey, I want to figure out how to be on the other side of this desk and go flying. And I understand that's how you got into flying. And so that's an exciting start. And Chris, kind of, you kind of got your start the same way. You started, your, your dad started flying, you loved it, and you were telling me you started by putting banners together, and that's kind of how you got your start in GA. That's right, yeah. So let's get into the story, Taylor. So you were, if I understand it right, you were on about your third solo flight. So really had, had just gotten past solo, third flight or so, and what airport were you flying out of? 
Uh, we were flying out of PTK, which is Oakland County International up in Pontiac, Michigan. And, you know, it was it was just a normal day for me. You know, like you said, I'm I'm pretty new into this. Uh, only a couple solo flights, you know, in my back pocket. So it was uh, definitely very early on in my career to have a nose wheel fall off. That's <laughs> yeah. for sure. So what was your planned flight profile for the day? I was just planning on going up and, you know, touching on your private pilot maneuvers. So it was, you know, finally a nice day, pretty calm winds, you know, the sun was out. It was, it was finally a nice day, you know, with this Michigan weather for, for a student pilot to go up and solo. So I was just, you know, going up to practice my stalls and turns around a point and steep turns and slow flight and all that type of stuff. Um, you know, just kind of getting ready for that check ride. Yeah, great. Okay. And Chris, how about you? How did you just happen to be out at the airport? What were you up to? I was in a Gulfstream doing some contract flying, helping a friend of mine out. And we had just came from Long Beach, actually, to Pontiac to pick some folks up and turn around, go back to uh, Long Beach. And we were starting our second engine. We had one running and we were turning the other one. And um, we were in the middle of the start sequence when I looked out co-pilot window to the right and uh, I saw this VA-20 just right at rotation. I saw the, the nose wheel assembly drop away from the airplane. It was, you know, it was probably three, four feet off the ground when it came loose. And then I just watched it bounce down the runway 10 or 15 feet. And uh, I didn't quite realize what I was looking at at first. Wow. So what runway were you departing off of at uh, PTK there? I was departing on nine right that day. Okay. So you're taking off on nine right, the long runway, and you're just going through what you think is a normal takeoff. And then, Chris, you're sitting in your Gulfstream getting ready to crank up, and you look over and you happen to see on takeoff her nose wheel falls off. Did you get any indication of that? Uh, Taylor, in your airplane, after takeoff and rotation, did anything seem unusual to you? No, I was I was happy. I was completely, you know, normal. I didn't feel anything, any roughness, even on the takeoff roll. I mean, that was all completely normal. I didn't hear anything. You know, I, honestly, I had no no idea and had no inkling that anything had gone wrong. So you just happened to take off, and Chris, you're sitting in the uh, in the Gulf Stream, and you look over and just happen to see this nose wheel fall off. You're on ground frequency, I would assume, starting. What what did you do then? I waited about 10 seconds. Uh, there was a lot of jet traffic on those parallel runways. On the, the north runway on the left side, there was a lot of students flying. And I was actually probably looking out the window because I'm a Cessna 180 owner, and there was a guy in a Cessna 180 doing crosswind landings on the north runway. And that's probably why I was my head was drawn out the window, but... Um, I, I didn't go to, I wasn't on ground just yet. I, I threw a headsets on and I, I waited a few seconds because I had assumed somebody had seen this and I wanted to give it a shot for, for somebody else to, to, to chime in. And uh, I just went straight to the tower frequency and let them know what I saw so they could alert the crew and uh, happened to be the crew was Taylor on a solo flight. So you tell the tower, hey, tower, I just saw the nose wheel fall off of that diamond that just departed. Had they seen it yet, or were you the first one to actually see it and give an indication? I think after all the, uh, listen to the audio over and over and, and the stories coming out, um, I think I was the only one that saw it right at rotation. You could hear in the audio where the tower repeats back what I said, and then she clarifies that, that yes, that's what it appears out the out, out her tower cab window, that she, she confirmed it. And then she relayed it, that again to Taylor, that, that that's what happened. Huh. So, Taylor, you're taking off normal. You're still on Tower Freak. And you probably heard Chris come over on Tower Freak and tell the tower, hey, 
that airplane just lost its nose wheel. What now what's going through your mind? Well, as soon as Chris, um, you, you know, radio towered and said that the first thing that went through my head was that he was talking about me, you know, just the realization that that he's talking about my plane right now. You know, I think he said the the diamond that just took off nose wheel and assembly fell off. And I just was, you know, that's my diamond. You know, I'm in the diamond that just took off. So that <laughs> that kind of second right there was just me coming to realization with what had just happened. Yeah, it's probably hitting pretty close to home at that point, right? It's kind of narrowing, narrowing it down. So, Chris, I'm curious. When you said the nose wheel assembly, the entire thing just completely fell off with strut, wheel, everything? You know, what, what I thought at first was just the nose wheel tire, like uh, the, the wheel fell out of the fork or something. And after further inspection, it looked like in the diamond, there's uh, the assembly with the fork attached to the nose strut. So, right, that's probably where it does, like, um, I would imagine kind of like a Grumman, Cheetah, or Tiger um, has that um, pre-castering nose wheel. I'm not real sure if that's accurate, Taylor, but it, there's a whole unit that came off. So the, the nose gear was intact still, but the wheel assembly and fork um, and axle is what came off. Oh, okay. So it is kind of a peg leg then. So it's got that stub. Now it's a peg. Oh, yeah, that's whoever was in the airplane. I was most worried about them not knowing and going to another airport and not not knowing or coming back here and landing and, and uh, putting it. On. Yeah, I was real scared that it was going to go on its back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With the with the stub there. So so let's go back to your cockpit. So now, Chris, you relayed a tower and you're obviously just waiting on the frequency to see what's going on here. Taylor, what did you do at that point? At that point, Chris and Aaron, who was in the tower, they had a couple of transmissions back and forth. Um, so Aaron was, you know, confirmed that the tire had appeared like it had fallen off in the gear. And so there's a couple seconds where I don't quite talk, you know, after, after I realized it happened. And that was just kind of me sitting in the plane um, trying to, A, accept that it happened and B, uh, you know, come up with a game plan on how I was going to deal with this. But those those first couple minutes there were definitely very scary. You know, you get that pit in your stomach and realize that, okay, you know, me getting back on the ground safely depends on how how well I can do this. That You know, I can't pull over and get someone in to help me out or anything like this solely depends on me. And, you know, the, that's kind of those first couple minutes where you can hear in my voice, you know, I, I'm definitely pretty terrified and just trying trying to figure out what I'm going to do because, you know, I keep saying we train for engine failures and, you know, uh, avionics failures and all that type of stuff, but you don't really train for not not having, you know, a nose gear. <laughs> yeah, I was looking here through a DA-20 checklist and I, I can't find the nose gear falling off checklist. No, here, I couldn't anywhere. find it either when I was in the plane. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so now you're departing and what did you end up doing? Did you stay with tower, come back into the pattern or where did you actually start flying the airplane? Yeah, I stayed with tower. My first question to her was, should I just remain in the pattern? Um, so what I ended up doing was flying northbound quite a few miles and I climbed up pretty high. I think I got up to close to 4,500, 4,600 feet and just climbed and and took a couple minutes to just fly the plane and and calm myself down. Um, so I just flew kind of a really wide pattern. The, you know, my first lap around, I just I, I climbed as much as I could, you know, without hitting that Bravo from Detroit, and 
just took some time to really calm myself down, to breathe, to come up with what I was going to do. So I flew one super wide pattern. Um, and then Chris told me to, you know, come in for a low approach. Don't quite touch down, just do a go around. And I'm very, very thankful that he did do that at the moment. I just wanted to be done with it. You know, I didn't want to fly yeah. another, another lap around the pattern, but it really kind of got my confidence up and in just a few extra minutes to really calm down and, and feel comfortable with the situation helped immensely, you know, and, and on top of that, getting a good feel of what the winds were like closer to the ground and, and you, you know, what sight picture I wanted to have when I was coming in for my actual landing. So I did two laps around the pattern, one really wide and high one. And then I came in and just did a nor normal pattern loop before I landed. That's amazing presence for a student pilot to recognize that you've got this unknown situation and you decide you're just going to take some time, climb up, extend out, and just take some time to, one, accept the situation like you were talking about and just calm yourself, pull yourself together, and get ready for your next course of action. Good for you, Taylor. That's, that's pretty amazing for a student pilot, I think. Thank you. And Chris, I want to know... How did you decide that my input is needed here and jump on tower frequency? Talk us through what was going through your mind and how you figured that part out. So, it, it, you know, going through my mind wasn't, I'm going to talk this kid around. My, my Going on in my mind was, I need to alert. If nobody saw this, somebody needs to know. And I gave it time and pause. And, and I, I kind of recognized as her in the tower controller, Aaron, who's just been amazing through this whole thing. And. Erin is really what allowed this all to happen. Um, we would really like to have her here. And since she's a Tower FA um, employee, um, they're not super ready to have her do any interviews or anything. But I do want to acknowledge her because yeah. her, she, she let me give her some suggestions and then let me go through with, with what I thought was best. And I only determined it as I learned it was a student pilot. You know, she told me she was a third solo. So that's when... I, I just wanted to offer her some suggestions of what I would do, and he listened, and we just started to build a rapport. So, Chris, did you did you request permission from the tower? Did you say, hey, tower, do you mind if I talk directly to the student, or was that just at some point kind of understood and, and the controller allowed it to happen? Yeah, it, it was just kind of understood. Uh, um, I didn't really ask. It was just uh, when Taylor asked, you know, should I remain in the pattern? Um, another flight instructor jumped in. Um, and I do want to acknowledge that as well. He, he was up in the pattern and said, I'm a flight instructor. I can help if you guys want help. Taylor said, yeah, I'd love some help. And he was with a student and he was, uh, he was, I was a little uncomfortable with it only because he, he, he kind of suggested, let's get back into the pattern. Let's do a normal approach and landing, get on downwind. Let's look at your checklist and let's get nice and controlled. And it was great advice, but I, that's when I jumped in specifically because I, I felt like she needed some more time mm. and I wanted her to know. Um, and I think that comes with just some experience that um, we can ask for more time. Nobody needs to be rushing us, you know, from the jet down to a, a piston or a cub, you know, it, it, it's your runway, it's your airspace, especially, you know, emergency wasn't declared at the time, but I, I just wanted to make sure and, and jump in and emphasize that, Hey, let's, why don't you just head to the North for a little bit and, and, and breathe and um, let's talk about some stuff before we come back and try to do this. Yeah, excellent, excellent, I think, because some emergencies are time critical, but this one wasn't. Plenty of fuel, sure. weather's not an issue, wind's not an issue. And we talked about that. We talked about the fuel. You know, we, I, that's one of the things you can hear on the audio. I asked her how much fuel 
she told me, you know, she got 18 gallons of gas. And when I knew that time to ask questions and get to know her a little bit raised my comfort level tremendously by how she was responding. She knew exactly how much fuel she watched the truck put in. She knew her, her approach speed. She knew her stall speed. You know, I was talking about how, you know, when it's time, I want to see that the, the mains touch, not all three at once, but I want to see the mains touch and hold the stick off like we would in a tailwheel airplane. And that's when Taylor came back and said, do you want me to do a soft field landing? And I said, yes, I do. And she <laughs> called it. She knew. Excellent. And she said, I, we just practiced those a couple of days ago. And I think somebody chimed in. It was probably my colleague in, in the air in the Gulf Stream said, now you know why. Yeah. So it gave us some time to, to discuss. You know, I, I really didn't do anything other than just share with her what I think I would do best. You know, and I know she humbly early on in the, in the call said the winds were calm. They weren't calm. They were they were calm for maybe a jet, hmm. but they were eight to 12 uh, knots uh, out of about a 30 knot crosswind. Uh, no, I'm sorry, a 30 degree crosswind. So when I knew she wouldn't have any nose wheel steering, um, we talked about, let's do a low approach. I want you to look at the windsock and pay attention. I think that gets, I think we get away from that in, in tricycle gear training uh, early on. Um, and I come from a tailwheel background and it's imperative that we land into the wind. It's imperative that our, our ailerons, are into the wind and with a tailwheel airplane and we're walking it all the way down. So I didn't know if she had that kind of a heads up or, or training. So I wanted her to look at, you know, come down the, come down the load of the runway, maybe 20 feet. Let's look at the crosswind component. Let's see how much aileron it takes to, 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 to counter that. And when we come around, it's going to be real important, right? Cause we're not going to have any nose wheel steering. Now you're used to being able to steer the airplane a bit on the ground. And once that nose comes down, we're not having that. So. Hmm. Interesting. I will add that I don't know if it's quite time in the call, but she gouged about four feet out of that runway with yeah. that peg leg sticking out. Yeah, I want to talk about the landing in a sec. But, Chris, there was a point in here where I want to go back to where it got a little bit emotional for you because I think early on you asked her – talk talk us through that first introduction when you – You're going to make me cry again. <laughs> okay. Tell us, tell us the story. There was a lot of, I would happily, happily, uh, there was a lot of dead air, right? It, it, the whole, the whole thing seemed like it took five minutes, but it really took 28. So there was a lot of dead air. And, um, you know, I have two girls, Catlin and Taylor. And, uh, so there's some dead air time. And I, I chimed in and I, I said, you know, we, at first we were talking end number to end number. And I just thought it was important to, to talk as humans and let her know that this is a human experience and you have all the time in the world and you're not alone. And so I asked her her name and uh, I, I told her mine and I asked her her name and she said, Taylor. And then I paused on the radio, you know, you can hear the audio stop for a while. And uh, I lost it. You know, I, and I had not flown with this other guy before. His name was Pat. Right. And we, we've known each other over the phone for a couple months, but he looks over at me. He saw me welling up. He, he says to me before I, before I answered on the radio, he says, don't tell me your daughter's name is Taylor. And I said, of course it is. And we giggled a little bit and that brought me down. And I said, all right, Taylor, you know, you could hear it. I, I'm, I'm half crying while I say it. I said, all right, Taylor, you know, my daughter's name is Taylor. And when this is all over, I'm going to put you on the phone with her. And she's going to tell you stories of me teaching her to fly as a little girl, something to the order of that. Mm. And that's when, you know, <laughs> I, I, I heard her get emotional mm. and she'll tell you that, you know, when the pause happened, she thought she didn't transmit. Where'd you go? Are you there? <laughs> and it was because I was uh, quite emotional. It just, whole, you know, it brought back flooded yeah. memories of teaching my daughter to fly. And now this is a totally different experience for me. Yeah, I, I could see that. I taught my daughter to fly. So now 
What's the rest of the traffic doing at PTK? Did Tower clear everybody out? Did they put them in a holding pattern? What What were they doing? Yeah, they closed the t- right after that. They uh, they closed the airport. They put all the jet, the inbound jets, in a hold. And uh, Aaron says very clearly on the radio, "We are catering to Taylor," which was just a beautiful. I would imagine from Taylor's. I'd love to hear her perspective, but that made me feel good. Okay, the airport's closed. We're catering to Taylor. You know, airspace is yours, kid. You got time. You got fuel. When you're ready, let's come in and do this. Being a pilot is about passion and dedication. The early mornings, hours invested, constantly learning procedures and details. There's a lot to do. Membership in AOPA makes doing the groundwork easier so you can get into the sky. With the power of thousands of pilots united behind you, get access to exclusive resources, practical benefits, and fierce advocacy that helps enhance and protect your freedom to fly. Join us. Visit aopa.org membership or give us a call at 800-872-2672. So, Taylor, you've got some great advice. You've got Tower helping you out, but I loved your comment on very early on on this. This is you. You are the pilot in command. You're the only one that can make this a successful outcome. Tell us what was going on in your cockpit and what kind of plan of action did you come up with? Yeah, at that point, I was beginning to feel a little bit uh, more comfortable with the situation. I was still, you know, very scared and a bit freaked out, but I was becoming good with the fact that I was going to land this and everything was going to be okay. And that's the other thing, you know, thank you to Erin, huge thank you to her for for what she did, because, you know, Pontiac is a, is a pretty bi- busy airport. There's a lot of jet traffic. As Chris said, there was a lot of student traffic that day. So there there was quite a bit of traffic around at that time. And just knowing that I wasn't in a rush, you know, I, I didn't have to hop in line with other planes. I didn't, you know, just knowing that I had time, that that gave me a huge load of confidence. So, you know, at that point in the plane, I'm just I'm just kind of going over all the steps of a soft field landing just repeatedly in my head. I'm thinking about what my sight picture is going to be, what, you know, uh, my approach, I I wanted to set up a very long final just so I had time to really stabilize the aircraft. So I'm just kind of running, you know, running down the checklist in my head of how I'm going to execute this landing. And that's kind of when I, when I began, you can even tell in my voice, when I began to feel, feel good about the situation and feel like I was going to walk away from it. Mm. So I think you said you did a low approach. Chris suggested a low approach. You came by and I imagine Chris, that was so that you could put eyes on the nose of her airplane and try to understand exactly what the problem was. Yeah, I, I wanted to get a little better picture now about what the airplane looked like, but it was more about her coming down and realizing the airplane's still flying. You got go around power, and I wanted to remind her it's totally okay to go around. This is all you. You're not being rushed. If you don't like this one, you don't like the next one, uh, you do as many more as you need. But I really wanted her especially to to put eyes on the windsock. That was that was the primary goal for me. Mm, okay. So you do that and you come around and, and Taylor, between you and Chris, you decide that you're going to do a um, soft field landing. So talk us through that. Which runway did you decide to use and was there any reason why you chose one over the other? So talk us through kind of the decisions you're making there. What did you decide would be your touchdown point? So take us all the way through your touchdown. Yeah, so I ended up using nine left to land on. Erin actually, after talking after the fact, she cleared me for nine left because she wasn't sure if nine right was clear yet. You know, my assembly had fallen off on nine right. 
Um, and she, she nine right is the bigger runway. It's wider. It's a lot longer. And she wanted me to use that one initially before thinking about, oh, wait, you know, there might still be some debris on that runway. We're not sure um, if it's completely clear yet. So, you know, she gave me the the north runway and I had, you know, I had started a left traffic pattern for nine left. And nine left, honestly, is I would have rather had, the, you know, nine right. It's it's a lot nicer. It's a lot bigger. It gives it, there's a lot more leeway. So I was a bit nervous using nine left just purely, honestly, because of the width of it. I was thinking, as Chris said, I did. I wasn't going to have really that nose wheel steering. So if I were to land it not straight and not dead center, there was a chance of kind of going off into the grass. And I, I was thinking, okay, nine left really doesn't give a lot of leeway um, with no steering. So I was a bit nervous about that, but it ended up working out well. But yeah, th- those were my thoughts when she cleared me for nine left. So you know, when I did that first go around, I just kind of hung out in ground effect for a second. And with the wind, you know, we had a bit of a crosswind coming up from the northeast. So I was just trying to figure out exactly what what aileron inputs and what rudder inputs I really needed to keep the airplane straight. And what did you decide was your touchdown point? Normal touchdown point? Yeah, I did use a normal touchdown point. Um, My final approach was quite a bit shallower than I normally do. I just I wanted to come in a lot shallower than a normal than a normal one. I wanted to just be able to really gently set those back tires down mm-hmm. and you know and not not have to lose a lot of altitude last minute. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So just watching the video, you come in and you touch down. Were you happy with your touchdown, your speed control and everything up to that point? I was. My my final approach was was an extremely stabilized approach. I, I even say it on the audio, you know, my I was hanging out right at about sixty seven knots the entire time and our you know, our approach speeds are sixty five normally. So I was I was really, really feeling good. You know, I had my flaps in at the normal time, uh, felt good about my altitude the entire time. And I just I really, really that's that's when my confidence peaked was that final approach. That's when I knew for sure, like I could do this, you I know, this. I, I felt yeah. really, really good about everything. Yes, exactly. Yeah, great. And so from the time you touched down then, what'd you do then from your from the time your wheels touched? When my wheels touched, you know, my priority obviously was to keep that nose wheel up as, or, you know, not wheel, keep the nose up as long as I possibly could down the runway. And I, I kept it up for quite a while. And when I'm, you know, when I'm rolling down the runway, it just, you know, I keep slowing down and slowing down and slowing down and my nose still wasn't hitting and I was going straight. And I, you know, I felt really, really great about it rolling down the runway. And finally, finally, that bar that, that the nose gear is attached to finally hits the ground. And I, I'm not sure exactly how fast I was going at that point, but it, it was it was pretty slow. And I was I definitely thought it was going to happen sooner. Um, and I thought it was going to be a lot more rough than it was. But when it does finally touch the ground, you know, it skidded for maybe a second and then snapped. And then the nose kind of just set itself down on the ground. It was a bit of a jerk, but it wasn't anything crazy. And um, Chris had reminded me to pull my fuel mixture and get the get the prop off and stuff. So I had been able to do all of that. So it, it was a pretty pretty smooth landing, you know, as smooth as it possibly could have been. It, it looked like it on the tape there. And Chris, I want to go back to you. What kind of coaching were you giving her there at the landing with what to do with what? I was curious about that too. Did you shut the engine off on rollout or how'd you handle that? Well, he actually, he told me um, while I was still in the air, as soon as my wheels hit the ground and I know I'm not going airborne again, I know I'm on the ground for good, then that's when he told me to to cut all of that out. 
Okay. So at that point, you had a good feeling. You were happy with your touchdown. You reached over, pulled the mixture out, and shut the engine down. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Great. And I had the same worry, too. I know it ends well, but I'm still watching the video and a little bit tense. But the nose hits, and then it skids, and then you can see where it just collapses and drags out the rest of the way. Were you worried at all about fire? Did you emergency egress the aircraft, or what did you do from that point when it came to a stop? I was thinking about that. I was concerned about that. Um, I've got to be honest. Once I did finally come to that stop, I, I kind of lost it a bit. You know, I... I I knew I was safe. Um, you know, fire did cross my mind, but at that point, I was just happy to be on the ground. And you know, the air fire rescue team at Pontiac rushed out immediately, and they were right there. And I was able to get out of the plane. You know, seconds, pretty much seconds after I had stopped. Um, so there, there wasn't a lot of time there to really worry about that too much. It did cross my mind, you know, before I stopped. Um, but when I did stop, I just kind of lost it and was out of the plane pretty much seconds later. Chris, were you still in the Gulf Stream watching the whole thing? Yeah, we taxied over to the run-up area and I asked uh, the tower controller if I could just move the air, we could move the airplane over to the run-up area, point to the north so I could get a good vantage point. So yeah, we were in the Gulf Stream the whole time. And um Right when I started talking to her, the guy flying the plane, he says to me, hey, we're not going anywhere until this, this kid's on the ground safe, which made me feel so much better. You know, it wasn't my airplane. I was just helping another company out and wasn't really for me to say, hey, we need to do this. And he just, he walked right along with it. And uh, back to coaching on, on the short final and the landing, it wasn't coaching. She was doing such a good job. It was more that it just kind of occurred to me now that I, I did some simulator instruction that's flight safety for a couple of years. And it's really sitting in the back of the simulator. It's really easy to see what's happening up in the front. But when you're in the front and you know, the, the instructor puts a fire or hydraulic issues on you, it's harder to see when you're in the fight. So it was not coaching as much as it was just some general reminders. Cause I could see what she would, what, what was next. You know, I, I told her, you know, we talked about the mixture pulling, when she was up, you know, getting some space and some time. And then I told her I would remind her. So I, I told her, you know, let's do it when we're on the ground and we're not going to flare, we're not going to bounce. It was just a reminder, you know. And I, too, saw that nose stay so far off the ground. That diamond's got a real long wing, lots of lift, right? And uh, once it was just stable and not going anywhere, I just all I just said is let's get the mixture now, just as a reminder. Yeah. And as far as the egress stuff, kind of back to the simulator side, you know, I could see what needed to happen next. She wanted to get the hell out of the airplane. So you could hear in the audio, mixture, fuel, mags, master. You there, you there. And she was already out of the airplane by then. Yeah. Don't blame her one bit. I know. I could hear you, Chris, on the radio because you're, you asked her a question or you said something. And it was a really, really moving moment when you told her you were proud of her. And she doesn't say anything. And you're like, are you there? Is, you know. So it was kind of a, a really interesting moment there. It was emotional all the way around. I said, you know, I'm proud of you. And I, you can hear my voice key up because uh, I, I, I was choking up and, and I could see the canopy pop and I knew she was okay. So I want to go back a little bit to the airborne and sort of just keeping the situation relaxed, which Taylor, after, you know, this happened, you collect yourself, you, you go out, you get some spacing. And then you and Chris have a little talk back and forth about your career plans while you're, while you're airborne. Talk us through that piece of it. And did that help you just get more relaxed? And what was going on there? 
Yeah, without a doubt, just, you know, the dialogue we had back and forth helped me a ton. Um, that's when I really, you, you can hear the change in my voice. But uh, yeah, he did ask me if I was uh, going to be a career pilot or something along those lines. And my response was, you know, I was going to, I was planning on it. <laughs> I don't, and at that moment, you know, at that moment, I was like, not anymore. But, uh, and you know, he goes on to say um, how cool, how good this is for my legacy. Or I think he said, this is going to be a great story for your legacy kid or something like that. And you know, that was a moment where I could, you know, chuckle a bit and, and really just, it was really nice to just talk human to human, like he said, and not, you know, plane to plane that helped a ton. But uh, yeah, in those moments, I was really unsure if I was going to continue as a pilot. Yeah. So as you look back on it, Taylor, from your student pilot perspective, and now you gained an awful lot of experience that some people, thankfully, will go a whole career not having gained an emergency like that. What are your takeaways? What did you feel like went really well for you? What kind of lessons learned do you take away from it? Uh, the biggest thing that I take away from it is just just my confidence in myself as a pilot. Um, I've thought since I've started this, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's when, when an emergency happens or when something like this happens to you as a pilot or when it will happen to me, am I going to feel the same about flying? You know, am I going to Am I going to get in the plane and be scared afterwards or is it going to steer me away completely? I've always wondered that. And, it, you know, it's hard to say when you haven't gone through that, how you would handle that situation. So if anything, I come out of this with, the, you know, a ton more confidence in myself and in my flying abilities. I know I can handle myself in an emergency. So, you know, that's definitely the biggest thing is, is just confidence in myself as a pilot and knowing, you know, when something happens again, that I'm going to be good and I'm going to be able to handle it and handle myself. Yeah. And I also just liked your word that you used very at the beginning. You said acceptance. And sometimes we skip over that when we're doing emergency training. But there is a point where, as a pilot, you kind of have to take a deep breath and accept that this is your situation, whatever it is. In your case, it was no nose wheel, which you had never even thought of before, probably. In other cases, it's something different. But there is that point where you have to accept the reality of the situation you're in and then fly your best airplane to get out of it, which you obviously did. Exactly. Yeah, that was the biggest thing is accepting that that I'm the only one in control of this airplane. I have to land this. And, you know, once I kind of got past that, everything, you know, started to feel better mentally. And then the positive attitude, you know, at first it was kind of emotional for you and you're like, oh, my gosh. And then you accept it. And then you develop this positive attitude that says, I can deal with this. I have the skills. I can fly this airplane. And just hear, you can hear it on the audio tapes and just hearing you now go through those phases to get there as such a young student pilot is, is really remarkable. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, how about from your end? You're an experienced pilot. I mean, you were the chief of aviation, director of aviation for SpaceX, been flying all over the world. What's your takeaway from this and the rest of us can learn? The biggest reminder for me and takeaway was you have time. You know, we got to work together to assess how much time she had and how critical it was. You know, a Gulfstream engine taking off on, you know, an engine fire at takeoff, it it doesn't feel good, but it's going to take 30 minutes for that fire to burn through that that engine to sell and, and actually damage something. So we're training for, you know, V1 cuts and engine fires and loss of direction control on takeoff all the time. Assessing that you have a good, safe airplane, you have an airplane that's flying, whether it has no nose gear, no flaps, you are, you know, in this career, you're going to lose flaps, you're going to lose engines, 
you're going to catch fire here and there. And um, I, I think the, the fun takeaway is Taylor learned that she can ask for what she needs instead of just feeling like she's being told what to do. It's just a good reminder for all of us. Hey, I need the runway. I need priority. I'm minimum fuel. I got this. I'm declaring an emergency. Declaring emergency is nothing wrong with it. You know, even if you're not sure that it's a real true emergency, if it's an emergency to you, the power controllers, UTC will give you priority and roll, roll the trucks. You know, I've seen it happen on, uh, in corporate and airline traffic often. And often it's, it's a non-event, but the trucks are there, the phone's there, and you got to the runway first if you're worried about fuel. I think that's the biggest takeaway. You know, tell ATC what you need and don't be afraid of that. Yeah, and early on in this conversation, you had mentioned you have time, whether you're in a J3 or a Gulfstream. And I really like that. I've seen so many accidents where pilots just kept barreling in when they were clearly behind the airplane and not ready for what was in front of them and not recognizing that you can tell ATC, hey, I need a vector for delay or use plain English. Hey, I need a vector to gather myself here or run through a checklist and just buy yourself some time and space before you get into that critical phase. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more. Now, I also think, Chris, that you did something here which is can be easy to, to misuse, and that is you seem to provide the right amount of input and not over-control the situation from an observer or a different airplane. I've seen that, too, in my military days and in GA where somebody's anxious to help and they just overload the pilot with information that's either too much at the time or just more than they need to know. You just seem to provide the right balance listening through this whole thing. How did you come at that? What were your cues that you were listening to for what was the right amount of information to help Taylor with? I don't know how to answer that exactly. You know, it felt important to build some rapport and feel where she was at, learn where she was at. And when we build some rapport, her, like, I, like she said, I, I could hear her confidence growing and when we did that low approach, she did everything right. I, there was no reason for me. And I can be, you know, you can ask my wife next time we have dinner, Richard. My, <laughs> I can be a very controlling animal. And, you know, most of us are as type A personalities that play with airplanes. So we're kind of type A, right? But when she did that low approach, I watched her do everything like I would do. There was nothing for me to tell her to do different. It, just, it was very obvious to me to just offer her some some reminders if I saw something that, you know, maybe was going to get her in harm's way. But this was all her. This is all her. I just thought it was so well done that the timing of your inputs to her and the inputs that you were giving her seemed both at the appropriate time and about the right either reminders or suggestions. Taylor, from your end, how did you feel? Did you feel like, eh, you know, I wish she would stop talking or did you feel like his voice is comforting me? Did you feel like it was about the right mix? It was definitely comforting. You know, I was so happy that he was there and that I had his voice to listen to and his inputs. I think they were perfect. I never, I never once felt overloaded by information or, you know, that I, that I wanted him to stop talking at all. I wanted him to talk more actually, <laughs> you know, like he said, there was some times where there was, you know, it was 25 to 30 minutes. So there was some points where we, we weren't going back and forth the entire time. 
And those kind of times of silence is when you kind of start, you know, thinking about what could possibly go wrong. So when he was talking to me, I wasn't scared and I wasn't thinking about the bad outcome. So having his voice and his inputs definitely without a doubt helped. And I'm so grateful that he, you know, he was there and he was talking to me. I think that, you know, that ultimately, you know, led up to how successful it was. Yeah, I I thought you established some rapport between the two of you very early on. And Chris, I, I think a lot of that goes to just how you approached it from the very beginning. Uh, really remarkable. I'm curious, Taylor, so did you ever find out what? why did your nose wheel fall off? I'm still honestly not sure and, you know, definitely curious. I know that the FAA has been looking into it and yeah, I'm just I'm I'm, you know, waiting for an answer just like everyone else is. I'm I'm not entirely sure what did happen. Mm. What's funny is that that airplane was used for a check ride earlier in the day. So, you know, a, a DPE was in there with a student and and they didn't notice anything either. So, I mean, that plane wasn't fresh out of maintenance or anything. It had flown a check ride earlier. So, you know, honestly, I'm I'm still not sure what had happened. That's the first thing that crossed my mind. I thought, I wonder if this was the first flight out of maintenance. But turns out no. It wasn't. Nope. It had flown earlier that day with an examiner in it, which is definitely crazy. Well, I want to thank you both so much. And Chris, also, you've gotten to know Taylor and her situation. She's working her way through, sort of self-funding her ratings. And you started a GoFundMe site for uh, Taylor. Do you want to chat with us about that? Where can people go to help Taylor get through her ratings? Yeah, I, I appreciate you picking that up. My my girls, both my daughters have been talking to Taylor Daly since this event. And, um, you know, something a long time ago in me, I, I used to be real involved with Young Eagles. And I, I did a lot of, in our Stearman, I would do a lot of Young Eagles rides. And it was always very fulfilling and wonderful. I loved it. And it was also a lot of single parents bringing their kid to the airport with, you know, not too many means economically and it always kind of broke my heart when i would see these kids fire up and love the airplane and have to leave and know that it would be real difficult for them to pursue this career and passion that i've been so fortunate enough to live so i've always wanted to do some kind of a foundation or scholarship and this was just sort of like the, the universe is calling you dad this is the time to, <laughs> to get off your butt and do that so that's great they fired me up and said let's try a GoFundMe." I, I i've never done one and i just out of the blue i sat there in bed a couple days ago and um just went on the GoFundMe side and wrote a couple notes about our story. And it's been very touching. I'm this young woman uh, inspired me to do it. She's very poised. She's very capable. Um, we've done some interviews with news media and she's just so professional for her age. And she handled the airplane so beautifully. I just thought this is something I, this is a girl I can get behind and uh, let's see what the, the universe and the community comes together. So if you just type in Taylor hash, reach the skies, It'll take you right to our any Google browser, any browser will take you to the GoFundMe. And um, I'm personally ensuring that all of the proceeds will go directly to her flight training. I will pay the checks directly to the flight school. That's fantastic. And anything above and beyond our goal, we're going to uh, donate to another nonprofit where it'll go to uh, scholarships for underprivileged aviators. That's fantastic. GoFundMe, Taylor Hash, Reach the Skies. So if you'd like to help out, please visit that site. I want to just congratulate you both on such a tremendous outcome. Fantastic job by both of you. And thanks so much for joining us and sharing your story. Thank you for having us, Richard. It's just been an honor and a pleasure to be able to, to share our story. And thank you so much for giving us the opportunity. 
yeah, thank you guys so, so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure speaking with you guys. And I'm very grateful that you wanted to hear and share the story. So thank you. Well, Taylor Hash, student pilot, did a remarkable job in composing herself and handling that situation. And Chris Yates really jumping in as he did, having the initiative to jump in and know that his help was needed and then know exactly how it was needed and time it well with the right inputs. That can be really hard to do. So the two of them working together so well with the tower controller, just great teamwork all around and a a great outcome. We're thankful that it ended that way, and we're thankful they shared their story with us. I'll be curious to find out what happened to that nose wheel, and if we find out, we'll pass it on to you and some of the links on the podcast. Thanks for joining us on this edition of There I Was. Until next time, I'm your host, Richard McSpadden, alongside our producer, David O'Leary. Fly safe. Hey, listeners, we want to thank you for making this one of the most popular aviation podcasts there is. Thanks to you, our listeners, for your engagement, for following us, and for your likes and subscribes on whether it's iTunes or Spotify. Those mean a lot to us and help us expand the aviation reach and our aviation safety message. If you'd like to help us and become a supporter of these podcasts, please consider a donation to the AOPA Foundation. That's aopafoundation.org. And you can earmark your donation for the Air Safety Institute, and for the There I Was podcast, if that's what you'd like to do. Thanks for your support, and thanks for making this podcast so successful. There I Was is produced by the AOPA Air Safety Institute. If you'd like to hear other episodes, submit comments, or submit your own story to potentially be featured on the show, please visit airsafetyinstitute.org slash there I was. Thanks for listening.